Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Okay, so we've been doing a series here called Supernatural. Supernatural, yeah. Okay, and, uh, <laughs> and, and we've, been, we've been talking about the fact that our God is supernatural. His story is supernatural. His people are supernatural, and His works, and His ways, and His Word, it's all supernatural, breathed from heaven. Amen. And today we're going to continue on that theme, and the message is Jesus wants to use you and your stuff for a miracle. You and your stuff. He wants to use you and your stuff, even if you just got a little bit of stuff. I'm going to start with Mark chapter 16, verse 20. I want you to see this in the New Living Translation. And this is the end of Mark's gospel, just before Jesus ascends, or this is after he ascended into heaven. And it says this, it says, And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Look at that again. The disciples went everywhere, and they preached, and I love this phrase, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Today, we're going to look at how God wants to take who we are and what we can give Him and use us to bring His supernatural presence and power into our world. We are the people that Jesus wants to touch people and make contact through. You realize we say this all the time, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you are His hands and you are His feet. You are His mouth to speak. You are the only Bible that a lot of people will ever read, right? And so you might not realize it because you look at yourself and your inadequacies and the things that you see that are wrong with you and you feel like, you know, well, God can use Doug, the preacher, but he can't do much with me. And my word to you is if you knew how inadequate I was apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd be like, man, I'm a candidate too. Okay, so you qualify because you're one of His and He wants to do amazing things through your life. You see, most often when God desires to perform His life-changing miracles in our time, in the time that we live right now today, it's going to be through you and what you give Him, right? And so we're going to look at this beautiful story today. It's one of my favorites in the Bible. It's when Jesus feeds 5,000 people, and we're going to kind of break it down and talk about it a bit. So I want you to notice the text. We're in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44, and let's get right into it. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Let me pause there. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus sent out his apostles two by two. And they went out, and he didn't go with them. And he said, go to these different territories and preach the kingdom and heal the sick and cast out demons and, and, tell, and tell the people that the kingdom has come among them. And then when you come back, we'll talk about it. So they went out without Jesus with them. And what happened? The same kinds of miracles that Jesus had been doing, they did. 
Right? So miracles are breaking out. God is working. And they come back and they're so excited. They've been pouring out and they're giving their report. It's debrief time. Tell me what God has been doing. And then he says to them after they share the story, and this is great counsel, he says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. So they didn't even have time to eat food. And they went away in the boat, to a desolate place by themselves. Thank God. But wait, there's more. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he said, I'm tired. I don't have time for you. Go home. Doesn't it say that? Oh, wait, that's Second Opinions chapter 4. Okay, sorry about that. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something, something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they'd found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Say it with me. Wow. Say it backwards. Wow, that's incredible. So let's look at this. The first thing we see in this text that's really beautiful, and I I think it's a principle, even though their rest time gets disrupted, the first principle we see is that Jesus calls us to come away and rest with Him so we can recover. And I have to tell you that sometimes I don't do that very well. I come away and turn on the TV, or I come away and do something else that doesn't pour back into me. And really, I think that, you know, the lesson here is there are going to be times in your life you're going to be poured out. You're going to be poured out. Life can be intense, right? You're taking care of kids, you're working jobs, you're doing all the things that families or individuals do just to make ends meet. And you get to a point where you don't have anything more to give, and, and they had just poured out. And so Jesus says to them, come away. Let's go to a desolate place and recover. And it's, it was important. They just returned from casting out demons, healing the sick, preaching, traveling together. They didn't even have time to rest. They didn't have time to eat, right? They'd just been a part of a supernatural time. I mean, here's the exciting thing. They may have been so pumped up from what happened, they didn't realize their need to recover. But he says, come away with me and recover. And I just want to say there's some of you in this room right now, you're probably at a point in your life and and, and instead of coming away with Jesus to recover, maybe you, 
You go to things that don't life you. They don't put life into you. Let me encourage you, get some life with Jesus. And if your life with Jesus is on a beach, go to the beach. If it's in the mountains, go to the mountains. And listen, if you don't have time to take a vacation like that or money or any of that, and that's where some of us are at, then take a walk. Take a drive, get in, get on your bike, get away from your house, get away from your TV, get away from your phone. Come on. And go somewhere and stare at the sky. Drive out of town half an hour and look at the stars and talk to God about the bigness of his world, but do something. Go to a desolate place and let him restore your soul. Because I'm telling you what, you need him. You need him more than you realize. Am I talking to anybody? And then I want you to notice Jesus, our shepherd, has compassion for broken people. It's so beautiful. When they saw them going and recognized them, <laughs> this is amazing. They ran there on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. The Bible Exposition Commentary says this, D.L. Moody was an amazing evangelist in the 1800s, and he was used in an incredible way by God. And it says this, when D.L. Moody was building his great Sunday school in Chicago, children came to him from everywhere. They often passed by other churches and other Sunday schools to go to Dr. Moody's Sunday school. When asked why he had walked so far to attend Moody's Sunday school, one boy replied, because they love a fella over there. Isn't that beautiful? Because they love a fella over there. The children could tell the difference. They saw a compassion. They saw a shepherd. They saw the love of God. Shepherds teach and care for sheep. The word she pastor means shepherd. You might not realize that, but when you call somebody a pastor or somebody is in the role of a pastor, that is the Greek word for shepherd. And what shepherds do is they lead, they guide, and they feed. And what do we see Jesus do as soon as he gets the crowd together? He teaches them. He feeds them words of life. He touches their spiritual hunger. He speaks to the things in their life that they need to hear. But here's the beauty. He doesn't leave it at fulfilling their spiritual hunger. Then he turns around and physically feeds them. And here's the reality. The miracle of feeding the 5,000 from just a little was a sign that was representing his ability to feed us all in our deepest hunger. Amen? And then, you know, like us, tired disciples just want people to feed themselves. You know, I love reading the Bible because I see myself in there all the time. Listen, if you're not seeing yourself in the Bible, you're not reading it right. Right? Like when you, when you go to read the Bible, you just need to pray, Lord, Help me to put myself in the story and to understand what's happening, right? To understand what's happening as though I was there, right? Give me that holy imagination that places me in the text. And so it says, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is late, send them away <laughs> to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. We are the disciples. We don't want to be troubled with all the hungry people out there, right? Our word is send them away. But Jesus has an answer for that. Can you say these words with me? It's a setup. It's a setup. He's setting them up. In Star Wars vernacular, it's a trap. 
You, you'd have to know Star Wars to get that one. Okay, some of you are looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, it's a trap, right? And so we're, we're just like the disciples, right? We're tired, we're hungry ourselves. Remember, they still haven't eaten themselves. And then Jesus is like, take your food and give it away. I mean, what the heck, right? And, and then that takes us to the next part. Hungry and weary disciples must give all they have. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Listen to what the message paraphrase says. It says, Jesus said, you do it. Fix supper for them. They replied, are you serious? You want us to go spend a fortune on food for their supper? You see, they hadn't eaten. They must have had difficulty parting with those loaves and fish. Can you imagine? They're like, what? Wait, Jesus, you want us to give you the little bit that we have for 12 of us? Five loaves and two fish, really? I mean, it must have been hard for them to let it go. I can hear Jesus, let it go, let it go. Listen, we may not have much to offer Jesus when it comes to feeding the people in our area, but he wants us to give them what we have. They searched around, and listen, according to John's gospel, they found a boy with some loaves and fish. See, that's the part of the story that's not inserted in this gospel. If you take all the gospels and you put them together, you harmonize them, you see that there's a little boy. So they're like, what do you got? What do you got? And there must have been a little guy around him, and, and he's like, I got some, right? What do you got, kid? Oh, five loaves and two fish. That ain't much. Jesus, this little guy over here has got five loaves and two fish. Bring it. Bring it. And that little boy had to give it up too. They had no idea what was coming. You may feel like you have very little to give, but Jesus can take your broken little loaves and your little fish and do a miracle with it. However, you must be willing to give him what you have. See, he wants to use us to feed others supernaturally. And here's really, if you look at the story, the story really captures the reality of the human condition. Because the disciples are like, man, we're hungry, we've been working hard, we thought we were getting away on a retreat, and now we're working, and come on, Jesus, and you want us to feed these people? And Jesus is like, yeah, give them what you got. And you can imagine, they would do what all of us do. The initial response would be, but what about us? How are we going to eat? But they gave it. They gave what they had. Bill White, a pastor, shares this story. Craig C. had been an alcoholic for more than a dozen years. He'd lost everything he had through his alcoholism, including his wife and his son, due to his selfishness and his addiction. Things began to change after he gave his life to Christ, but he still fell regularly into his old habits. It didn't help that he'd lost his well-paying job and was clerking at a local grocery store that was well-stocked with all of his favorite drinks. After a few years of going back and forth between Christ and the bottle... He finally cut the ties, and out of obedience to Christ, he quit his job. With no income and no hope except for in Christ, he was in a desperate condition. After an interview with a sheet metal company down the street from his new church, he cried out to God, God, if you give me this job, I'll give you my first paycheck. Surprisingly, he got the job. He clearly remembers the day when he got his first paycheck. Stacks of bills needed to be paid. Penniless but determined, he endorsed the check over to the church and walked it to the church office without waiting for the Sunday offering. That was the moment, he says, that changed his life. 
because now he understood what it meant to trust God. As of today, Craig has been sober for 25 years. He's a manager at that sheet metal company, and he serves as an elder at his local church. Now, I know some of you that are sitting there right now, you're going, man, that was sneaky. He got an offering message in there right there. That's not what I'm doing. I'm showing you the principle. You see, he knew that God was requiring something. I mean, the first step of obedience was to quit his job that was causing him to stumble. He took that step. See, he was putting himself out there. How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to take care of my life if I don't have a job? But what is that job doing for you besides causing you to stumble? Okay, I'm going to be obedient there. And he cries out to God. God gives him this interview. He gets the job, and out of this, he feels a response of obedience. Okay, I'll give you my first check. And bills are stacking up. And what does he do? He gives the check and God begins to work the miracle because he gave what he had. He gave the little bit that he had trusting that God could multiply it. And that doesn't just go for finances. That goes for your time. That goes for your talents. Some of you right now, the the sad reality in your life is that you count yourself out. You consider yourself knocked out and down and the fight over before you ever get into the ring. You decide for yourself, I can't do what's in front of me because you look at yourself and you assess yourself and you say, not enough. And God says, take your eyes off of yourself, lift up your eyes for your redemption draws nigh, and recognize that the God who loves you is the one who's going to take care of you, not yourself. He's going to give you the ability to do what you got to do if you obey him and walk with him. And the sad thing is, is I see Christians stunted in their growth, stunted in their walk with Christ. Because every time that risk comes, every time that radical step comes that they know God's calling them to, they count themselves out, let fear win the day, they don't take that step, and they never get to see the miraculous, supernatural God come through for them. So what are you going to do? You're going to trust Him? You're going to give Him what you got? And listen, I'm not just saying, okay, I'm going to take a step of faith, and I'm just going to give all my money away. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is when God speaks to your heart, when he shows you something to do, when you know, when you just can't seem to escape that thing, and he keeps talking to you about it, give yourself to me in this way. Do it. And let him show himself strong. Am I talking to anybody? And then... You can see that he uses us then to multiply miracles out of small things. He commands them to sit down in groups on the grass, fifties and hundreds. He takes the five loaves and the two fish. He looks to heaven. He did this over and over again. He did it the day that he introduced him to communion, to the Lord's Supper. He did it after his resurrection, on the, uh, after he'd walked with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He did it over and over again. He took the bread. He took the fish. He broke it and he gave it. He blessed it, broke it and gave it to them. And now he's blessing and breaking and giving the little bit that they have, right? And he divided the fish and the loaves and they all ate. Think about this. All 5,000 ate. And I like what it says, and they were satisfied. This wasn't like your minimum daily requirement. They ate until they had enough and they felt good about it filled up, content, right? The hunger was gone. 
And there were 5,000 of them. And then he, he puts them into groups. I, I love this. Think about this right now. His way has always been to arrange us in groups. We need one another for a miracle to happen. Have you ever noticed that? We need one another. Listen, church, we need one another for a miracle to happen. Why is this important? Because there's this little doctrine, this little idea that's always circulated in Christianity, but it's gained some popularity in recent days. And here's the idea. All I need is Jesus in me, and I'll be okay. And people are like, I love Jesus, but I don't like organized religion. The church hurt me, and churches do hurt people. Leaders failed me. Other people were mean. Things went wrong. And because of the failure of Christians, people check out and they say, I can do this between Jesus and me alone. But what you don't understand is that the way of God has always been, through all of time, to partner with people in community. And that's how He speaks and works and moves. So when people say this, and I know their point, they say, all I need is Jesus. On one hand, I say, amen, that's true. On the other hand, I say this, Jesus shows himself through people. I've had times in my life when I go to get with God and I'm alone, I'm in a desolate place, I'm alone, I'm praying, I'm asking God to speak to me, and you know how it is, I want something dramatic to happen. I want an angel appearance. I want God to come down and stand in front of me, right? And I'm yearning for God to speak to me and meet me, and nothing much happens. I read the Bible, I pray, I'm all done, and I go back to life, and I'm like, Lord, what was that about? And then I run into somebody. I run into Drew, or I run into a brother or sister here, or I'm talking to somebody on staff, or I meet somebody at church, and they come up to me, and they don't realize it, and they speak a few words to me, like I felt like the Lord put this on my heart, and they speak a few words to me, and boom, a bomb hits me, and I realize Jesus did talk to me. He chose to use his body to do it because that's his way. Sometimes it'll be the Bible, sometimes it'll be in prayer, but, but many times it'll also be through people. And think about this for a minute. I'm married. If you came up to me, we were talking, and Peggy was by my side, and you said, you know, Doug, I really like you, man. You're a great guy. But you know your wife, she leads a little to be desired. I don't really like her much. And not only that, she's ugly. Now, about that time, stars and little birdies. You might be bigger than me, but you might find yourself picking yourself up off the floor. Or at least the temptation to choke you to death would come up in me. You see, because I take it personally, because she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And the Bible compares our, our wives, our spouses, our marriage relationship to the relationship that Christ and His church has. Right, And so the body of Christ is what the church is called. The bride of Christ is what the church is called. We're talking about his wife. So people will be like, and I'm telling you, I think it's dangerous. People will be like, yeah, church sucks, Christianity sucks. And these are Christians. I understand people that that don't know Christ and haven't had an experience with God. I get that. I get that. You know, that's our failure, right? But but if if you're a Christian, even if you've had a bad experience, be very careful about talking trash about the church. I'm telling you, the church belongs to Jesus. 
It's not a man-made institution. I know we've organized it the way we have, and people debate on what that should look like, and is it done the way that God really, you know, wanted us to do it in the New Testament? There's all those debates, I get it. But regardless of how it's organized and what it looks like, with all of its messes, with all of its warts, with all of its struggles, with all of its imperfect people, it's the body of Christ and the bride of Jesus, and we need to be really careful that we don't speak against the wife of Jesus. Amen? Because we need each other. We desperately need each other. I've had people in this house that have probably, their words to me have probably kept me in ministry. There have been times I've been so discouraged as a pastor, and it's been people coming up and speaking the word of the Lord to me. So love the church and love Jesus. Am I talking to anybody? And then he he blesses and breaks whatever we give to him. And he makes the most of it. He multiplies it. I love that, that principle. Jesus blesses, breaks, and gives. And do you know that's what he wants to do with your life? He wants to take you. He wants to bless you. <laughs> the next part's no fun, right? He wants to break you, and he wants to give you away. And many of us don't realize the brokenness is so important. If, if, you, if you've never noticed in the Bible, there's this recurring theme. God's people go through hell. I don't know where we got this modern idea that God's people have it easy. God's people go through hardship, difficulty. They go through brokenness. They experience pain. They experience rejection. And all those things, if they'll let it happen, will work a softness, a tenderness, a beauty of Christ, a fragrance from your life that when people get up next to you, It'll touch their life and, and, and you'll, they'll, they'll be like, I'm experiencing, I can't put my, I can't, I can't quantify what I'm experiencing, but I'm experiencing God through a person. And that comes through the breaking. So he blesses, he breaks, and he gives. And that's what he wants to do with us. Amen? And he uses people to hand out miracles. <laughs> Think about that. They're standing there. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Jesus? the miracles happening through Jesus? It's multiplying as Jesus gives it, right? So we know the multiplier is Jesus. We know the miraculous one is Jesus. But can you imagine the disciples? They're like, what's he doing? I, I, we can't feed all these people with five loaves and two fish, but do what he says because he's Jesus, right? We already watched this guy do a bunch of crazy stuff, so here it goes. And can you imagine at first they're like, wait, let me see. That was, that was loaf number four, loaf number five. There goes the second fish. Oh, my gosh. What is happening? They were probably freaking out. And can you imagine they get to tell their, you know, to, to tell people that they know down the line, yeah, I was there the day that Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish. I got to be a part of the miracle. It moved through these common hands. God wants to move through your common hands and through your common life. Amen. He uses small things we give to satisfy everyone, the little stuff. We think it's the big stuff. It's why we count ourselves out all the time, right? We think we have to do something dramatic. Now, I know Jesus did something dramatic, but the disciples didn't. They gave him five loaves and two fish. And that's the way we look at life. We think we have to do something big for God to prove our love for him. And he's like, hey, I just want you to help your neighbor. He's laying sod down. I just want you to walk over there and help him lay down some sod. Hey, I just want you to pull over and help that person broke down. Hey, I just want you to, you know, you know just, just get, your, get yourself in the game and do the little stuff and let, let God do miraculous things through the little stuff. Am I talking to anybody? 
And this is where I finish. And then Jesus will provide for you because of what you've given to him. I love it. It says they took up afterward, remember, five loaves, two fish to begin. They take up 12 baskets full of fragments. 12 baskets, 12 apostles, 12 baskets. Weird. They started with five loaves and two fish. Now they had 12 baskets full. Notice 12 and not 13. Wait, if Jesus was going to eat, they were going to have to share with him because he still hadn't eaten. You ever thought about that? So he's still, he's like, okay, you guys going to share a little bit about what you got with me? But they had enough for themselves. And this is, this is our fear, isn't it? If we give God what we got, we won't have enough for ourselves. And I love how the story ends. They didn't end up with five loaves and two fish. They ended up with 12 baskets full. So what happens at the end? They each get to sit down with their own basket and be satisfied. And that's really what he wants. He's supernatural. We're not dealing with a dead God. We're not dealing with a God who quit working because the Bible was completed. We're dealing with a God who is still working supernaturally. I have so many stories I could tell you where this is true in my own life. He wants it to be true in your life. And let me ask, do any of you have miraculous multiplying stories of you giving a little to God and watching Him bring a lot out of it? If that's you, if you've ever experienced that, show me your hand. Come on, let the brothers and sisters around this room see that He keeps doing those things even now. Amen? So, are you willing to give Jesus what you have? to benefit others, even if it's just a little bit? What does that look like in your life? How many of you would realize today that you're counting yourself out before you ever get in the game because you think what you have is inadequate? Here's another thing. Some of you think you're unworthy because you fall into sin and you blow it. Did you forget that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin? And if you'll take it to Him, He'll bear it, He'll cleanse you, He'll wash you, and it doesn't matter if you fall a thousand times, He'll cleanse you a thousand times. He'll pick you back up, He'll clean you off, He'll love you, He'll renew you, He'll restart you if you'll let Him. Come on, I'm talking to somebody, aren't I? It's a day of restoration for you. Give him what you got. Quit counting yourself out and saying, I'm unworthy, or I've blown it too much, or I don't have enough to give to him, or I'm I'm not that smart, or I'm not that gifted, or I'm whatever. Whatever it is that you're using as your excuse for why God can't work in your life, give it up and give it to him and watch him work. He can take your little and he can feed a multitude.